0: Welcome to the Bible Idiots Podcast, the teaching home for Chris Danielson. It's common for Pastor Chris to have somebody read the scripture to start his messages. He's a participation guy, and that's why many of you are listening right now. So let's get to the main auditorium at Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa.
1: Will you stand with me while I read God's Word? Um, I'm reading from 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 16. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning where we can all come together um, to worship you and learn about you and study your word. And I just pray that you will fill Pastor Chris with the words that you want him to tell us and teach us. And just be with everyone here today and those that were not able to join us. And. Just thank you for all the blessings that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Title of today in Sermon 4 of our, I don't know, 190-point David series. Uh, Sermon 4 is David OFW, True Greatness. Now, for those of you visiting, you're like, what's OFW? Well, it's Obedience, Faith, and Worship. And faith and worship create obedience, And obedience will then strengthen your faith and worship. David's a great example. So, today I want to talk to you about true greatness. How do you measure true greatness? Is true greatness seen in how much money a person has? Can it be determined by the car they drive, or the size of the house they live in, or in the status that they have achieved in life? Is true greatness recognizable? And is it recognizable by achievements in life? For instance, if an actor wins an Oscar, is he or she, have they achieved greatness? If an athlete topples long standing records, have they achieved greatness? If someone is able to do what no one else has ever done before, have they achieved true greatness? Some would say yes. But I believe in studying God's word that our Heavenly Father would say no. I think God would say, true greatness is not measured by what you achieve in life, but how you live your life. In Job 1.8, God declares Job's greatness. God does say to us that greatness is possible for the human being. A lot of us want to say, well, in our fallen condition, there can be no greatness. Well, I think we can see it fleshed out in the life of David. And in this passage, David is a young kid, he's a young man, he's fresh from his first battle. He'd already achieved what so, people, so few people will ever achieve in this life. David has achieved true greatness. And I would like to take the text and share with you some observations from the life of David. And these observations reveal why I say that David has achieved true greatness, and they tell us how then we can achieve it too. So let's go to point number one. Point number one is David the wise guy. David the wise guy. We see this in verse 5, 14, and 30, and we're talking about wisdom now, not David's telling the Philistines to hit the bricks, see? Three times in this chapter we're told that David behaved himself wisely. This phrase speaks of someone walking properly. It refers to a person who knows how to carry themselves. It speaks of more than mere manners. If you really look at it, it speaks of a person who watches what they say, what they do, and how they act, because they know they are being watched, but they don't do it in a fake, I'm walking on eggshells to try to appease people. Those are two different things. It has the idea of walking accurately and carefully, as if one were navigating a minefield. It's the kind of walk we are called upon to exhibit. But don't misunderstand this. This is not walking on eggshells so you don't hurt anybody's feelings. That's not what this is. It's about walking wise. Look at Ephesians 5.15 with me. It says straight up, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. See, now there are three areas where this accurate, careful walk of David was on display. Now, all throughout this sermon, when you start studying David, there's no end to it. You you get into one point, that creates four more points. You get into those points, each point creates. It's like Russian nesting doll sermons all over. So point one is its own sermon. And the three points are that he behaved himself well in spite of life's promotions, life's problems, and life's possibilities. Let's take them one at a time. Let's start with promotions. After David killed Goliath... He continued to prove himself to be a faithful, loyal subject day by day, hour by hour. David did not allow his victory over the Philistine to go to his head. David knew he was climbing to the top. He had been anointed by the prophet Samuel for crying out loud. This kid knew where his destiny was. But he was willing to take the climb one step at a time. One of the most amazing things about David is that he did not pursue the promotion. He let the promotion come to him. There is always a danger when we see some measure of success with the Lord. We then want to run out in front. We then want to elevate what we're doing into more significance than what it might be. And when God allows us to see a victory or two, we need to be beware of the snare of pride. It has a way of telling us that we are greater than we actually are. Thank God for the victories he gives. I'm so thankful for every one I've had in my life. But be careful that it does not go to your head because... As somebody who's had it go to his head before, the the fall is pretty painful. You know, when Jesus grabs you by the throat, lifts your feet up off the floor, brings you this close, and in a gentle voice says, Can we talk? It's not as comfortable as you might think. But David also dealt with life's problems. Even when Saul tried to kill him, David still carried himself the right way. David could have become bitter, or he could have been overcome by a desire for revenge. Instead, David continued to carry himself well and set a good example. I still remember being in high school the first time I read that that Saul was uh, in the cave exposing himself, and David had a sword right there, and he cut off the corner of his robe. That's coming in our series. I'm just jumping ahead right here for a minute, just to tell you. When I first heard that, I couldn't wait to read when David killed him. He's got him. You don't let him go. Greatness, strike that man down. Take your spot as king. You've been anointed. That's coming in a couple weeks. That's walking out your life with Jesus in spite of your problems. Often it's the problems of life that throw us off course. Son, unexpected calamity will blindside us and we'll be down and out before we know it. I can't tell you how many times I've made bad decisions in the heat of the moment. It's a sign of true greatness in one's faith is the ability to continue to walk the right way and the right path even when things are not going well in your life. And I can give you a handful of scripture references if you really need them. See me after the service. See, because the promotions and the problems are going back and forth, in the middle of all that, what do you have? You have possibilities. David has, though the providence of God, he has seen more than the average person has seen. David is married into Saul's family. He's become far more popular than Saul. And he is blessed and prospered greatly in all of Israel. He is in a position to attempt to overthrow the Saul's kingdom. After all, he's supposed to be the king. But instead of trying to elevate himself, David is content to even wait on the Lord, even to the point of continuing to have a man pursue and try to kill him. Saul, in, the, in future chapters, fall, Saul falls into David's hands, and David lets him go because it wasn't God's timing. That's incredible. See, instead of trying to elevate himself, God, or David waits on God. He waits on the Lord. David carries himself well in spite of opportunities to promote himself. We need to be very careful when it seems that we're on the way up and when it seems like our walk with the Lord's getting really strong. Because if we are wise and we are walking properly, we will leave our elevation of any kind to the Lord. And it's much sweeter when the Lord does it. He knows where we are and he knows how to elevate us in his time. Our duty is to live for him and make a proper presentation of our lives for his glory. That's what he calls us to do. And that gets more difficult day by day. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When do you get to see that? When do you get to experience that? In the middle of your problems, you see possibilities. See, David may have been a young man, but he set the kind of example that we all need to follow. He lived a wise and balanced life for the glory of God. He lived a life that honored God, and a life that God could then re-honor. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in that kind of life. Point number two today, really focused on verses ten and thirteen. David, the priority guy. Ten through thirteen. Another example of the greatness of David's young life is the priorities he exi- you know he laid out. These were not easy days for young David. He had been. Uprooted from his home. He'd found instant fame after killing Goliath, and he has found a bitter enemy in the person of King Saul. Still, David remained faithful to his priorities. He carried on with his assignments in spite of all the difficulties he's faced. Now, notice how David demonstrated faithfulness to the priorities of his life. All right, another Russian nesting doll sermon in this point, and because All the great pastors use the same letter to make their point. I'll give it to you up front. It's surrendered, steadfast, and submissive. David demonstrated that he was surrendered. David knew the king was up against him. Still, David walked into that throne room, picked up the harp, and played the music. He had a job to do, and he did it faithfully. What a great testimony to us. Verse 11, David was steadfast. In his hatred, Saul attempted to kill David, but notice the phrase, and David avoided out of his presence twice. David got out of the way twice. David escaped twice, depending on your translation. Saul tried to kill David, and David ran away. And I don't know about you, but that would have probably finished me up. I think I would have turned in my resignation and headed back to the sheepfold, but not David. He was steadfast. He was firm. Even though Saul tried to kill him, David returned to his post and continued doing the job he had been assigned to do. Now, I know that the culture was much different back then, but I still have to believe that was pretty hard. See, David was submissive. He knew God had a calling on his life. He knew God was going to elevate him. He knew he was the future king of Israel. When that was, he did not know at the moment. But even after Saul attempted to take his life, David kept on serving the evil king. David took his new assignment and carried it out to the best of his ability. My kids will tell you. In fact, if you want to see it, I have an engraved pen in my office. I'm scared to ever have it leave the office because I'm scared I'll lose it. It's one of my prized possessions. But when my kids were growing up, we had a thing called dad's time. Mom would struggle with them all day. When I got home, put the hammer down. We're going to get this stuff done. So dad's time can last 30 minutes or it can last 45 minutes. It can last an hour and a half. It's up to you. And there is one rule smile on your face best to your ability. Smile on your face best to your ability. But, Dad, she got nope. Smile on your face best to your ability. But, Dad, he's nope. Smile on your face best to your ability. Just do it to the best of your ability. And so, for Christmas six years ago, they got me a pen inscribed with smile on your face and on the other side, best to your ability. That was how I raised my kids. Don't judge me. <laughs> In these verses, David sets a good example for you and me. Often the difference between the average Christian and the great Christian comes down to a simple matter of priorities. All right? You see, we do the things that are important to us. Those things you attach value to determine your priorities in life. Today, it'll be a priority in my life, whether I get to watch the whole thing or not. I will know who won the NASCAR race tonight before I go to bed. Every Sunday, that's a priority in my life. You can call it my soap opera, whatever you want, but that's my escape. It's one of them, hockey and football are the other two. See, when you make a priority in your life, you follow through on that. Everything in your life is touched by this principle. For instance, your church attendance will be determined by what priority it holds in your life. Straight up, that's what it is. The same is true of prayer. Same is true of Bible study, witnessing, whatever. What you do is what's important to you. And these priorities will change. They will morph. And some of it's righteous, some of it's not righteous. I believe that there is a time when my prayer life will start to decrease because my study life has increased or my relationship life has increased. And I don't think it's bad that my prayer life is down a little bit because these other things are happening. There are other times when your prayer life starts to decrease and you're involved in all kinds of other priorities which really shouldn't be priorities then now you got a problem. Does that make sense? It's not that the prayer life decreased. It's why did it decrease? I hope that makes sense. I don't have time to stay on that point, but let me tell you where you put your priorities is where you're going to have your actions. You know? It's it's that simple. See What you think is important is important until it's not important to you anymore. And that's called the sanctification process. Jesus will actually change your desires. I'll tell you why I don't hang out at the bar anymore. I don't want to. I have no desire to be there. You know? Same with casinos. I just don't have any desire to be there. You know, there's a casino, and part of the reason I don't go to casinos is I don't want to be spotted, <laughs> and I mean, just straight up. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you more about that later. David's standard of living is one in which we could all take a lesson. At some point, David had determined to be faithful in spite of injury, in spite of trouble, in spite of difficulty. He had made up his mind that he was going to be surrendered, steadfast, submissive to the king, regardless of what took place in his life. Do you have that same attitude towards Jesus? This is how it should be this morning. In fact, this is God's will for each of his children. Write down 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and Romans 12, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look it up later. But aren't we guilty of allowing anything and everything in the world hinder our walk with and our faithfulness to the things of God? We need to make up our minds that he will be the first priority in our lives. This is called, in my world, setting your face like flint. Putting the horse blinders on, Okay? I am focused, I am am set. And we need to make up our minds that he's gonna be the top priority in our life. Why? Out of good old-fashioned gratitude for the mountain of sin that you committed that he forgave. We need to make up our minds that he will be the first priority in our life. And when he is, then we have no trouble serving him like he deserves to be served. And if he isn't, we will have trouble in this area which will lead to trouble in all areas of our life. And just because you're having trouble now and your neighbor is is not, and now you're not a week later, you're not having trouble and your neighbor is, do you see that that's what happens? Well, God sent you, those of you who call Fresh Encounter Church your home, God has sent you a fellowship in which you can grow in and a pastor who will come alongside and do the best he can to help carry your burdens with you. Let's go on to point number three today, it's verses 17 through 23 of the chapter, even though We didn't read it today, it's it's all part of it. I want you to see that David was the awareness guy. David, the awareness guy. David's greatness can also be seen in how he was perceived by the people around him and by himself. See, there's the private perception, the public perception, and the personal perception under this point. Let's take private. How King Saul perceived David. King Saul hated David and wanted him dead. When he looked at David, he looked at him through jealous eyes. He saw a young man who was everything he himself was not. He saw a young man who walked with God. He saw a young man who carried himself well. He saw a young man who was ambitious, faithful, and clean. And Saul hated him because of it. Saul hated David so much that he tried to kill him with his own hand. When that didn't work, he tried to kill David through deceit. Saul hated David, but he hated him because God was with David and was not with Saul. He hated David because David walked with God. What a foreshadowing to those who hate you because you walk with God. Those of you who do. Then there's the public perception of David's life, how the people of Israel perceived David. Saul's private perception of David was one thing, but the public perception of David's life was altogether different. I mean, Saul's servants Even his servants in the palace, the king's palace, they they, they saw how David carried himself. They were impressed. Saul's subjects, all the people of the land of Israel saw God's hand on David's life, and they were impressed with him. Even Saul's son and daughter, even Saul's own children, Jonathan and and Michelle, they love David. There is something about his life that touches them as well. And then there's the personal perception, how David perceived himself. This is so awesome when you get your mind around this. The only person in Israel who seems to be unaware of David's greatness is David. When it is mentioned that he might become the king's son-in-law, David speaks about his own unworthiness in verses 17 through 23. David isn't nearly as impressed with David as others were. Now, here is one of the most powerful secrets to obtaining greatness. The person who possesses true greatness will be the last one to know it. All around us, there are plenty of people who want us to know how great they think they are. Now, Emily and I and Mike Shaw and anybody else who's been around it long enough, uh, around broadcasting, film production, that type of stuff. We get our promotional bent from that lifestyle, from the broadcasting and film lifestyle. Think about it now. Your job that they're paying you incredibly well to do is to get out in front of everybody and go, ta-da, look at us, look at us. We're humble servants for the Lord, wink, wink. It doesn't play well. I have tried to explain how God-exalting we are trying to be when talking about the incredible journey the Lord has given us, and without fail, it'll come off as self-serving or self-promotion. See, many don't see the self-depreciating aspect of it. And Emily and I, when we were actually simply answer folks, questions have been labelled blowhards and braggarts. Other times, folks will need to build credibility, and will present their background as a way to justify the why in some circumstances. Like a doctor about to give a lecture, and he or she shares that they studied at Oxford or the Mayo Clinic, and it becomes necessary to speak about accomplishments. But even with these appropriate issues to possibly self-promote, there can be circumstances where the best intentioned person ends up talking about themselves and their achievement, and it seems as they are constantly elevating themselves and exalting themselves above others. But the truly great person, the truly great person in God's economy will not be in the business of lifting up their own name or promoting their own fame. In fact, they will be amazed when others lift their name and talk about their greatness. And this was the kind of spirit that David possessed and is the same spirit that we should all strive to have within us. This is also why I don't consider anyone in the broadcasting or film space to have a biblical form of greatness. I just don't and I never will because you're always drowning in self-promotion. Self-promotion is a way of life and it is so hard to maintain authentic biblical humility. Paul understood biblical greatness. As this was also the spirit that dwelt within the apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12:11, I'm going to use the New Living Translation because on the screen because I think it just says it better for the message. It says, "You made me act like a fool boasting like this. You ought to be writing commendations for me for I am not at all inferior to these super apostles even though I'm nothing at all." Do you hear how he's trying to justify his existence without bragging about himself? The Bible has something to say about the matter of self-promotion. By the way, it's, it's not fond of it, but let's look at it together. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. How about Proverbs 26.12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Do not get into the comparison trap. You, let me tell you who you have a right to compare yourself to. You have the right to compare yourself to this person all day, every day. You wanna know who that is? Nobody. 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 Quit comparing yourself to others in anything. Did our Savior say anything about this? Yeah, he did. It's not in my notes. I don't have a scripture reference for you. But look for when Jesus says, what is it to you? What is it to you if this man doesn't even see death before he sees the kingdom of God? You pick up your cross and you do what you're called to do. See, It's just not wise to toot your own horn. But sometimes you have to explain who you are, why you you are, what you've done, where you've been, and you try to do that with as much humility as you can. But it's far better to let the Lord exalt us in his time than it is for us to be in the business of exalting ourselves. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10.18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. In fact, it is wise to close your ears when you hear things talked about yourself, good or bad. It really is. It's unwise to listen too closely to what others say about you, good or bad. Folks will love you today and tell you how great you are. But just cross them up and they'll turn on you like a rabid dog. Live for God and let him do the exalting. Beware of thoughts of personal greatness and don't believe all the good things people say about you. And don't believe all the bad things they say about you either. Because if you are what point number four is for David, if you have this, you got everything. And it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they think. See, David, point four, was the relationship guy. David, the relationship guy. David presented himself the right way, had his priorities in the right order, and had the proper perception of his own life because things were in order between him and the Lord. All these... Other things were possible in David's life because his relationship with God was what it ought to have been. When you get right down to it, the right relationship with the Lord is the first essential step to a pathway to greatness, true greatness, in this life. See, David had a relationship with the Lord. David was in faith with God. He was able to say in Psalm 23:1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall be not want. David knew God in a personal way. He was, it was not faith-based in what his parents knew. He did not worship God vicariously through the prophet Samuel. God knew David on a personal level, and that made all the difference in his life. And all of David's resources were with God. He said, God was, It said God was with him. David was able to do all that he did because God was with him. He had favor with man because God was with him. He had humility and grace in his life because God was with him. I have said, anything good that comes from my life and my wife's life is because God was with us. And even when we got set down in some of our failures, God was still with us. For those of you visiting, I've been in broadcasting and film almost my whole life. I've been in ministry, went to seminary in the 90s. Struggled to be a pastor, so I became an interim pastor, guest speaker, all those things. This is like my seventh church I've actually been a pastor of. But it took a long time because it was hard to separate those two things. It was very hard to separate those two things. Everything that we've ever had has come from God. Now, we look back at my career... And my daughter and I, this past Christmas, we did a deep dive on my career, and we figure that I'm nine wins and five losses. And those five losses, uh, three of them were really, really hard. But God was with us. So we're sitting there at Christmas, we're nine and five, that's playoff football. Pretty good. Not bad at all. If you want to be great in this life, the first step will be found in your relationship with God. God. Salvation is the key ingredient in proving true greatness in life. In fact, it's to have that satisfaction that it's well with you when you're winning and it's well with you when you're losing comes from this. You see, you might amass fortunes. You might achieve fame and status among men. Your name might be a household word. But if you are not saved by the grace of God, you are nothing. Nothing. When this life ends, and it will, what will you have to show for your life? You don't have Jesus. you got nothing to show but eternity and hell. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah, it is rough. That's why I'm telling you. Oh, don't say that, Chris. A couple people won't come back if they hear you talk about hell. Well, if I don't talk about it, it's hard for Jesus to save you from it if you don't know about it. I mean, add it up. Two plus two still equals four. Oh, I so want to add Jack Wagon onto the end of that, but I won't. See how I was able to do it without doing it? (laughs) True greatness is found in the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is nothing else. There are people in this world and some in this room today, you're not famous and you never will be, but you're leaving a legacy of greatness. Why? You know the Lord, and through his work in and through you, he is doing great things. Others may have passed by this way who were not great in the eyes of men, but they left their mark on this church and on your lives. How can I say that? Because I have fresh eyes to see. I've only been in town 16 months. Some of you have been marked by greatness of others who have come through this way. In fact, the wife of one of them read your scripture this morning. Why? Because these folks knew the Lord and he used them for great things. What's a great thing? Somebody passing from death to life in Jesus Christ is the greatest of all. And that happens here. That happens here. It's the only reason I'm here. So don't worry about getting your name in lights. Don't worry about grabbing the headlines. Don't worry about being known by men. Let me tell you, it's a... Just a vile mistress. You know, I've had my name in headlines multiple times. It's not always pleasant. There's usually some adjective next to it. You know, they can't just say broadcaster Chris Danielson, it has to have some other thing. You've not lived till you picked up the paper and seen your picture there, and it says right wing fundamentalist. That's a pleasant one. It's not all it's supposed to be. Don't worry about being known by men. The best thing in life is living for Jesus Christ and allowing him to live through you and make an impact on this world. True greatness is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and living out your life for him. David's life was truly great, not because of what he did, but because of who he was and whose he was. The same is true in your life and mine. True greatness is not in the things we do, but it's found in who we are and who we know. So I ask you today, would you like to live a life and leave a legacy of true greatness? If so, then take the essential step of ensuring that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then grow yourself well. Establish the right priorities and live them and have a proper perception of who you are. When life is lived within this framework, true greatness has been attained. Some of us tomorrow morning will get up and we'll take the true greatness that God has given us and we'll set it on the dresser and we'll walk out the door. Others will clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ and his greatness will be out there as we just bumble around in our own to da way. When life is live for Jesus, you will see things that you cannot see any other way. I have one goal pretty much every day, and that's I want to see the power of God do something. I just want to see the power of God do something. I'm addicted to it. It's like a It's like a hum. It's like an odor. You know it's there. It's hard to to explain to people who don't know what I'm talking about, but some of you do know what I'm talking about. And when you see the power of God move in something, it's amazing. It's amazing. We've had people come to know the Lord in the last month in this building, a couple of them. We see others that I'm talking to and others that are being reached from different different things, even our, our food ministry, different things that we're doing. And you see the power of God move. It's amazing. There's one fuel that we must maintain, and it's the one that the enemy would love to take from us. And I ended last sermon with it, and I'm going to end this one with it too. If you want to hear, feel, notice, smell, whatever, the power of God, and you want to see that move, there's one thing that must be present, and that's unity amongst the brethren. Unity amongst the brothers and sisters of the Lord. That's where God manifests his power. And without unity... The grieving of the Holy Spirit, dove flies away. I'm not saying that God's purposes are this, that, or the other thing. I'm just telling you when I see God move, it's because there's unity. Who should I have the most unity with? Is it people of the congregation? Is it the elders? No. The unity that I must maintain... To have any power of God anoint my messages or anything else is I must have complete unity with my wife. And if you want to do anything for God, you start by making your marriage something strong. Men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. What does that mean? That means you love her so much, you set the bar so high that it doesn't matter. You're vulnerable because she could take your heart and throw it on the ground and stomp on it and you know she could do it. And ladies, you respect him, you honor him, you lift him up, and that man will go through a wall for you. And if you're both focused on those things, guess what? You're living a unified life. The reason I serve my wife with abandon is she does the same thing back most days. Whoever you join to, whether it's this church, or any other, when we link arms, we want to link arms in unity. So here's what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. We believe that he died a sacrificial death in our place for us. In fact, some preachers have gone as far as to say the the eminence of God is so great that he actually thought about you while he was hanging on the cross. And because of that perfect shed blood, Jesus Christ washed away our sins forever, and then he was put into a tomb, and he only stayed there for a little bit, and then he had victory over death, hell, and the grave when he rose again, and he gives that out freely to all of us who will accept it. That's what we believe, and we believe that once we surrender our lives to Jesus, then we start this process. Some call, a lot of different names for it. The reality is it's called sanctification. I still believe that's the right term. And everybody wants to have their special revelation and change the title. It's spiritual formation. No, it's this. No, it's that. Look, you're, you're growing in the Lord or you're not. Pretty simple. And that's what we want to do. Justification, being justified in Jesus. While you're still a sinner, God's working his way to you. And then when he finds you, he grows you up. And the true greatness that reflects off your life is that of Jesus himself. Then you know You're walking the walk of a person who won. I want you to win this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all what you've done for us. Lord, we just love you and thank you and praise you. And most of all, for saving a, a loser like me. And you make me into what you call a saint. And I need your help every day walking that out in wisdom and in truth. Lord, be with the people here. Give them strength, give them peace. Let it be well with them as they serve you with just joy in their heart in spite of their circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. Bibleidiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord Leads. I'm Emily Danielson and thank you so much for spending some time with us today and may you see
0: the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.